hi everyone. Um, it's great to be with you this morning and very excited to be speaking uh, on Mark chapter 14. So if you want to uh, find that in your Bibles, Mark chapter 14 and verse 12 to verse 25. We're going to be looking at the subject of the Lord's Supper today of communion. So we'll do that at some length in a moment. Just wanted to just catch you up on one or two things that um, we've been involved in, just exciting stuff around uh, the uh, the commission world and a little bit beyond as well. So just had the real privilege of speaking at Swindon, a church plant there, where the um, the Peacocks went a few uh, years ago, if you remember, and just was there a couple of weeks ago speaking for them on a Sunday. A number of our uh, preachers have been there uh, just to serve them, and it was just a real privilege to stand with old friends and new friends and uh, just share some of their journey and be able to support them in what they're doing in Swindon. Exciting days, the, the, the challenges of a small church, of a small church plant and and uh, just the, the busyness of uh, of activity, of finding places to meet and uh, you know who's going to do the kids work and how's it all going to hold together. Just really want to stand with them and honour them in their challenge. Uh, doing really well, and it's it's growing slowly, but it's doing, they're doing well. And then we had the privilege uh, just recently also of being down in Exeter uh, to pray for Dave Rogers, a good friend uh, to us as a church who is just beginning or just starting there as the as the guy that's going to lead the eldership team. Uh, so he's moved over from Ascot, having led the Ascot Church for a while, and now picking up Grace Church. Exeter, the leadership there, some challenges in the church, um, uh, but a, a happy church, a very young church, lots and lots of children, which is just a real son of life, and uh, just, again, a real honour and privilege to be able to go down and stand with that church as they pray and welcome him into eldership there. So that's some of the things that we've been doing, and lots of other stuff as well, which we'll talk about in the future, I'm sure, but very, really honoured to be able to do that, and to be able to give of ourselves too, because when any of us go anywhere else we're not going as ourselves we're going as uh, as ambassadors for Christ of course but actually as ambassadors for City Church Bristol that we're we're part an extension of, of you of us as a family together and because of your generosity and kindness and because of your willingness to serve of the of the sense of call on all of us we are able to serve more widely and that's so important in these post-covid days particularly where churches have have faced all sorts of challenges that they weren't expecting and so for us to be able to give in that way of ourselves and our time and uh, just able to bring blessings and and share the journey with people and stand with them in their challenges and joys is uh, is an absolute honor so thank you so much for helping us to be able to do that it's a real honor and we we will continue to do that uh, into the future so thank you so much. Anyway, let's uh, read this passage and then we'll pray and then we'll see what uh, the Lord has to say to us through his word today. So we're going to read from Mark 14, starting at verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, Go to the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make, pre make preparations for us there. The disciples left. 
went to the city and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread in the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him not to have been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This, take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them and they drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it in the new kingdom of God. They had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Father, we thank you for this incredible intimate moment in the life of, of our Lord Jesus. We thank you that we just get to sit there, as it were, with them and hear these words and understand a little bit more about what was happening, what was about to happen through your death and resurrection. And we, we pray, Holy Spirit, just come and help us. Please help us to understand a bit more of this. Help these words to be more than just a story. I pray that they'd become, just as Jesus said really, they'd become like drink and food to us, life, real life, energy and strength and courage and faith and hope. I pray build that into us as we uh, look a bit deeper into this passage we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it would be a surprise if uh, whether we are Christian or not this morning, whether uh, we were entirely unfamiliar with this story or with the story uh, or, or the concept or idea of the communion meal. Um, so whether you've been in church all your life or whether this is your first day uh, in, in a church like this, uh, at least, whether you just had no concept of this, because most people would understand whether, you, whether it was called uh, the Lord's Supper or Communion or Eucharist or Mass. At some point we've come across this meal you know we've had some sort of um, kind of interaction with it we might have never been in one before in fact I think it was only a few years ago that I'd been to a more formal um, kind of uh, Lord's Supper in a, in, a, in a more formal church but whether whether that or whether it's a bit more um, uh, casual is not the right word a bit more like the way we do it um, uh, you will have come across it somewhere and, and that's because Almost all, in fact, almost without exception, almost all Christian denominations do this meal. They will do it a bit differently, some with great ceremony, some with special clothes or special prayers or special timing, special blessings, special people conducting, conducting the, the ceremony. Um, and some would argue that it, 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 some would actually would argue that it shouldn't be done in a church context at all. It should be done in a home and around a, a meal, a bit like the story, I suppose, that we've read here you know, a, a special room that is about a meal with friends and that's where it should be done. But whatever the form and quite how it's conducted, there is there is absolute unity around the fact that this is, we are supposed to do this. <laughs> that Jesus says, do this when you meet together and remember uh, my death until I return. And we'll look at that passage there in a second as well. Of course, we do it every week now. We used to do it once a month and that 
for a long time was the tradition and then we felt no this is so key so important so central to our faith so aligned with being obedient that we need to do this every week now there are some dangers i suppose with that um and we'll conclude with some of these things uh, at the end of my talk today but the, the dangers i suppose uh, with doing it every week is it just becomes too familiar um it's just it, it loses its meaning in its constant repetition now the strength of it is <laughs> that we keep reminding ourselves about the importance and the depth and breadth of what Jesus has done. Um, so you've got these two kind of opposing forces, I suppose. It's like if you do it all the time, you forget why you're doing it. Um, but if you do it, uh, if you don't do it like Jesus said to do, then you're being disobedient. And of course, if you don't do it like Jesus said to do, then you are missing potentially the depth and breadth of the meaning. Um, the symbols of what what the the bread and the wine actually are about. Um, so that's why we do it every week now, because we want to be obedient to what Jesus said. And I suppose to counter the the sense of well familiarity might breed contempt, which we might say that is that we want to just today dive into some of the the depth of the meaning of of this meal and say now what is it when when we you know at the point in the meeting that we stop and we get up and we eat bits of bread and we drink little cups of juice. What's that about? <laughs> we need to know what that's about because it's a really important part of our of our meeting together. It's unique, of course, um, and symbolic. And now some would say, and I, it'd, it'd be hard not to agree with this, that this, this taking part in this meal is the high point of Christian worship. This is the pinnacle of what it means to worship, what it means to devote our lives to God. This is the peak this is, this is the high peak of all the other things that worship is. This is what it means to worship Jesus, to once again bring our lives to the foot of the cross, to eat of his, uh, of his body, to drink of his blood um, in that symbolic way. Um, and so again, the importance is there for us all to see. So there are all sorts of variations in how communion is taken. Um, and so we want to just look again at this example and the and the background meaning to it so in 1 corinthians 11 which is a, a passage we often would read out when we when we come to the moment of uh, of communion in our meetings together let me just read this 1 corinthians 11 um, 23 to 26 for i received from the lord what i also passed on to you this is paul writing to a church giving them instructions about how they should do or what they should do um, or when they should do communion I passed on to you the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, so he's referring back to the, the story we started with, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, the cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And again, that's that's what we do as believers we are proclaiming that god has given his life for all humanity and that's our message that he has given himself for you and for me that god has come to show us how what what makes the universe tick he's come to show us what is at the heart of of and the purpose and meaning for of life of the whole cosmos actually and at the heart of it is a God who loves us so much that he would give us his dear son. 
and we'll come to the details of why that's necessary as we go through. So uh, the passage we started with was Jesus and his disciples celebrating um, the Passover and uh, and that was a, a meal that they had celebrated for generations. It was a, a celebration meal. It, it happened at a particular point in the year. The whole nation uh, together was doing what the disciples were doing, deciding where are they going to have their Passover meal? How are they going to celebrate it? Because everyone for sure was going to be doing it. It was part of the fabric of their community life together. And so where are they going to celebrate this meal was a question on everyone's lips, I guess. And certainly it wasn't an unusual thing to be looking, where are we going to do this? How's, you know, who's coming? You know, how's, how are we going to organise this? And the meal, of course, was called, as we said, the Passover. And, uh, and it has many elements and important moments running through it, as it had done for, as I said, generations. It was filled with important reminders of things God had done, wonderful times and sometimes very difficult and bitter times that the nation had been led through by God uh, on their way to the promised land and ultimately to produce Jesus as the saviour. That there are reminders of the bitterness of slavery that the Israelites endured in Egypt for all those years and the many tears that have been shed, the lives that were lost, the, the tragedy of, of going from what would have been honoured guests in Egypt as Joseph had arrived and, and saved the nation from that terrible, uh, the, the terrible famine, and then through to, over the generations, becoming slaves and being treated horrendously badly uh, through those years. And all that was part of this Passover meal's meaning. And we're going to look at just a couple of those things as we, uh, as we pass through these, uh, this passage today. Um, and of course, the Lord's Supper, as we know it now, was is sort of born out of the the Passover meal. It, it, Jesus uh, Jesus gave the Passover meal its true meaning, and and helped us to understand that the Passover meal, even for all those generations having been celebrated, was pointing towards this thing. It wasn't the other way around. It wasn't as if oh let, look, let's just you know let's just kind of pinch this meal and give it some new meaning. No, this meal was signposting. Jesus all the time. It was so that the Israelites in particular would recognize the meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection because it had been hard-baked into their culture for generations. They were going to understand, or they had the opportunity to understand, and it made the preaching of the gospel so much more simple for them because it was in their culture already. To say, this is what the Passover was about. It wasn't just about, you know, it, it, it wasn't just about the releasing of of, of, the, of the Hebrews from slavery, it was about the releasing of all humanity from the slavery to sin, which we uh, have all endured. So the first thing was this unleavened bread, bread without yeast, the flat bread. And so to find out about this unleavened bread, why was it made without yeast? And that was an important part of the Passover meal. Anyway, so we, to find out this, we need to go back to Exodus, the second book of the Bible, this Exodus from Egypt, this releasing moment for the Hebrews. And God gave Pharaoh in the final months of their slavery, he gave Pharaoh an ultimatum saying, let my people go, release them from slavery, release them. And not just that, of course, the slavery was horrendous, but it was more than just 
let people out of slavery. It was release them to be the people that I have called them to be. They have a bigger mission in the earth than just being slaves or not being slaves. Their mission is to bring about the Savior, to bring about the Messiah, to bring Jesus to fruition to, so that he would be born when he was born. And so this was an important moment. Uh, and of course, we know that Pharaoh resisted and Pharaoh was given 10 opportunities to release uh, God's people. And each time he said no, and the plagues came upon the nation uh, with increasing ferocity. Uh, and he just kept on saying no and saying no. And so the plagues were both a sign and warnings to Pharaoh that God was powerful and meant what he said. And then the final, of course, the final terrible plague was unleashed uh, and when that happened, and we'll come to what that was in a moment, that ter final terrible plague was unleashed. The people, the Israelites, needed to be ready, and they needed to be ready quickly. They had to be ready quickly, and so they were instructed, in order that they wouldn't have to wait around, to make bread without yeast, because they wouldn't have time for the yeast to rise to make their bread. So there was a, they, it was about speed of exit. Now, I don't know if you've ever made bread. I made bread recently. I actually made it with the wrong flour and it ended up a bit like a cake. It still tasted quite nice, but still, the process was the same. And I had to find a little tiny bit of yeast, put it into the dough as the dough is, is being made. And then of course, the, the dough, this tiny little few grains, literally, of, of yeast, uh, they, they work their way through the whole dough and then the whole thing rises. But it takes a while. And you have to leave it a while and i guess um ancient uh, kind of yeast <laughs> wouldn't have been as effective as yeast is today so you're not talking about leaving leaving the thing for a few minutes you're talk, maybe talking about leaving it for hours for the yeast to work but the process is still the same so they weren't allowed to use yeast they had to do it without yeast and that was very important and then we read about that in exodus chapter 12. the egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country that's after this final plague had had its effect on the nation for otherwise they said we will all die so they the egyptians are terrified they're saying get out leave now the final plague has happened so the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in the kneading troughs wrapped in clothing so they were they they were ready they had to go they need they're going to need bread they're heading out into the desert they've got to have food with them the bread's going to be important for this first part of the journey. Um, and so it had to be, so they had to carry it uh, and they had to make it without yeast. So they had to get out quick. Now there's, a, there's more meaning to yeast, <laughs> of course, um, yeah, particularly in the New Testament. And, and yeast in the New Testament is almost always a metaphor for sin. And we read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where again, Paul is instructing the Corinthian church so let's read that, verses 6 to 8. Your boasting is not good, says Paul. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread with, of sincerity and truth. And that picture of just a little bit of sin, as it were, can affect the whole batch, is also part of this meal. And of course, it's also part of our celebrating of communion as well. So part of the Passover ceremony, this ancient ceremony they'd celebrated for generations, was this. 
that they had to, and it would, I guess the, the, it would have been maybe even a little fun thing, the children would have been involved as well, they would have to go through the whole house and cleanse it of yeast. They shouldn't be yeast in the house at all, so we're gonna get rid of all the yeast, and so they'd be searching the drawers, it might have been a moment for a bit of a spring clean as well, um, but we're gonna go through the whole house and make sure there's no yeast at all in the house. Um, again, as a symbol, a reminder uh, of what God was going to do, what God had done, but also saying, hey, we know that a little bit of sin can affect the whole thing. And again, that's a reminder, that's part of that ancient ceremony, that part of a ceremony, part of our current understanding of what it means to come to communion. Get rid of what is impure so you can eat what is pure, um, says God. And in the New Testament, with the instructions that we're given again in 1 Corinthians, but this time in chapter 11, uh, by Paul is this, is, is examine your hearts before you take communion. So just remember the importance of coming to, be, to, to this cleansing, the reminder of this cleansing moment of what Jesus has done. This, this God has given himself for you. Now just be sure, now are you, now just, just, just think about that as you're coming. It would be, it would be crazy to celebrate a meal about, of purity while you're harboring unforgiveness or you're, or, or you're, you're hiding sin in your life. Just come now, just, just come, but also come thinking about that and repentant before God again. Again, also to eat it, was for it to become part of you, to take it into your body. Where does the bread go when you eat it? It becomes part of your body. It becomes part of who you are. Um, and Jesus said in Matthew uh, 26, he said, take and eat, this is my body. Take it, take, I, I'm gonna become part of you. Um, and again, that's part of what we understand of the communion meal. So the Passover bread facilitated the Hebrews' escape from slavery. And Jesus' broken body facilitates our escape from sin. It makes, it makes forgiveness, it makes escape possible. So they, they, to make escape possible, they had to eat, they had to eat unleavened bread. Um, to make our escape from sin possible, we have to take on board Jesus. And the symbol of that is eating the bread. Okay, so there's another moment, the second thing we're going to look at, and that is that Jesus took the cup. And we know, of course, there's bread and there's wine, and the cup would be, again, a symbol, of, uh, a symbol for us to understand and a symbol of many things. Now, in the Passover meal, again, remembering that this was something they would have celebrated year on year for generations, in the Passover meal, there were four cups. <laughs> Uh, there were four cups of wine and during the ceremony uh, they were rem remembering different aspects of what God had done and celebrating and remembering and mourning all at the same time through this meal. It was recalling to mind what God had done and what he would do. So they had four cups. Um, they, let me just tell you what they were. So the first cup was the cup of sanctification and that cup was a reminder uh, of this, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I'm going to bring you out from under that burden. I'm going to release you from that thing that was just a, 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 a reality of everyday life for them. Like they were slaves. It wasn't like there were there were great anti-slavery movements anywhere in the world. That was the reality. That's that they they had no hope other than God. And this cup of sanctification was. A reminder that that was always a promise for them. I'll bring you out from under that 
uh, burden. The second cup was a cup of judgment. I will deliver you from their bondage. And we know that from the plagues that came on the Egyptians, the Egyptians, that judgment was going to come and that was part of their delivery from bondage. Um, from that, they, they were literally shackled to their slavery. No chance of escape, no hope. It's hard to imagine an utterly hopeless existence. For some of us, you know, some of us it may, it may not be, but for, the, for a whole nation to feel like we are utterly shackled to this existence and then for them to have been released was a phenomenal thing. And this cup, this second cup, was a reminder of how that was achieved, that God brought judgment on the Egyptians. The third cup, the cup of redemption, I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Obviously many of these things are linked together, but God did this. God redeemed this idea of redemption is, is such a beautiful concept. I want you just to think, just to imagine, um, trying to understand what, what redemption is and what this cup represents. Imagine that in your family there was a piece of jewellery that was just full of meaning. Um, imagine it was a, a, a mother's ring or maybe a grandmother's ring and it was full of memories of gather, gathering around as a family of the closeness, the the warmth, the love, the care, the, the, the stories, the, the history, the food, all of it represented in this ring. And, and the family sadly falls on hard times and they have to, they have to go to a pawnbroker's and they have to sell the ring into slavery, as it were, in the pawnbroker's and they get their money and there's the, there's the ring in the window of the shop and they're hoping, you know, what, but, and the sadness of being separated from this memory, this ring, this, this beautiful, thing is is there for them all and then and then one day the the family comes on better times and they're able to go back and and redeem the ring they can buy it back and and so the the ring is back in the family and with it comes the joy of the memories of the beloved mother or grandmother that that just the happiness the joy in the family that this ring could be returned it could be bought back it could be redeemed just a little picture there of what redemption is and again, they would celebrate the fact that God had redeemed them. He'd reset them on their purpose, their mission, which was to bring the Saviour to the world. The Messiah would come. The fourth cup was the cup of praise. I will take you for my people and I will be your God. Just the celebration of being God's people um, uh, was part of this meal. And so each of these cups would be you know, you'd raise the glass and celebrate these moments and remember and talk about all that had happened and obviously not just in some formal way but in a celebration way so you're including all the other aspects of what God had done in that moment so it was at this in this moment of celebration remembering all these things that God had done and God would do that Jesus takes the cup and, and so you might say well which cup was it well in one sense it was all the cups <laughs> It was, it was a sort of culmination of all the cups, but it was likely, uh, if you want to be technical, that this was the cup of redemption that Jesus took at that point in the meal. And Jesus said, drink, drink from it, all of you. Drink from this. You need to drink from this cup of redemption. You need to personally be redeemed. This needs to be true for you. And not just, just sort of for a nation, wonderful as it was. No, this now needs to be true for you because the slavery that you are in is not a slavery to a foreign power, it's an internal slavery spiritually to sin. You need to come to a knowledge of the true and living God.
And that's what redemption means for the believer. And so Jesus said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. This is a solemn promise I'm making with you. It's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He said, I'm, gonna, I'm sealing a solemn promise with you. I'm, I'm making this, this, this pact, this, this solemn promise before the Father in the presence and in the, in the witness of all the principalities and powers that this is what I will do for you. I'm going to buy you back. <laughs> I'm going to redeem you. You're going to find out your purpose. You're going to find out meaning, all the joy, all this fellowship, all the family, all the things that you maybe even didn't know that were due to you because of who the Father is are going to come to you because of this redemption moment. So he says, take this cup and drink it and celebrate with me. Now, when the final plague uh, back in Egypt came, it was this, it was an angel of death. It was the passing through the land and, and the taking of the firstborn sons of the Egyptians. Truly terrible. A terrible, terrible moment. Now, you, we could argue all sorts of things about this. The fact that there had been nine opportunities where God demonstrated his power and said, let my people go uh, out from slavery. And of course, these were God's people. These were the, the people of promise, the people that were going to bring salvation and the Messiah to birth that would save nations and uh, continents and history would be redeemed because of this moment and and there's pharaoh saying no you can't do that exerting his uh, trumped up authority and power over god and god wouldn't have nothing to do with it um but it was terrible and that these instructions would mean the angel of death was going to pass through the land but he would pass over the households which observed something let's just read what they had to do um, and this is what they had to do and we read about this in exodus chapter 12. tell the whole community of israel that on the 10th day of this month each man is to take a lamb for his family one for each household the animals you choose must be a year old male without defect you may take them from the sheep or the goats take care of them until the 14th day of the month and then all the members of the community of israel must slaughter them at twilight then they must take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the lambs. So just, just picture your front door <laughs> and there's a lintel, that means the bit that goes across the top of the door, um, it's wood or sometimes steel or whatever, and it you know, stops the top of the house crashing through the front door. Um, and then, of course, the posts at the side, which hold the door together, and you're supposed to put blood across the top and down the sides from this pure lamb that they have kept ready for this moment. Um, that same night, they are to eat meat roasted over the fire, along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Don't eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roasted over the fire with its head, legs, and internal organs. Don't leave any of it until morning. If some is left until morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And of course, the title of the meal of the celebration was the Passover. It was because the angel of death is going to pass over the houses where the blood is on the door and on the lintel. So they were literally under the blood of the lamb. And as they were 
gathered under the blood of the Lamb, the protection from God's wrath was in place and the angel of death would pass over them. Um, and the opportunity was there for the whole nation, in fact, both nations to do this, but only the Israelites, it seems, did this. So the blood of the lamb was to be painted on the lintels of the doorposts, and the angel of death, when he saw the blood, would pass over the household. Now, Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 5, Jesus as our Passover lamb. So Jesus is our Passover lamb, and the, the Passover lamb, the blood of the lamb was the protection against God's wrath and what we find is here that Jesus takes the place of the of the sons that were lost Jesus says I will give myself God himself stands in the place of these of the of this terrible wrath against sin and his blood is the protection that is required bloody shed means the punishment passes over us now we find these we can find these concepts strange in our world, but what we what we need to grasp is this: sin is incredibly serious. It is incredible, and even that is it seems strange. No, no, don't we just negotiate these days? Isn't it just a matter of opinion? Isn't it your truth and my truth? Isn't it whatever whatever? I, if I really feel it, that's okay. And God says no. That isn't how the world has been made. He says that's not how it is and he said that to the Egyptians at their terrible cost and he says it to us too but what he says to us is in the light of an even more dramatic redemption that was offered to uh, those ancient people and it's that, it's that Jesus now says look it's my body that was broken for you it's my blood that will protect you it's my blood that means you can come into a new relationship. You can be released from slavery. Now, there, it's a possibility that imagine that children being born for generations into slavery might have very little concept of what that was or, or what freedom might look like. They would never have known it. They would have, maybe the parents and grandparents didn't even know it. There would have been old stories of what it would have meant to be a, meant to be a free people, but they might not have understood it until it was offered to them. And that can be the case for coming to faith in Christ now. Is that we might have people like, well, I'm not a slave. I don't feel like a slave. <laughs> I, you know, I just get on right with my life and it's all fine. But what God is saying to us is that you are gripped in the, the teeth of an enemy who wants to ultimately destroy your soul. And it takes the death of the Son of God to release you. And that's the seriousness of the case that the gospel is making and it's going to take the blood of the of not just a, a not just a lamb or a goat it's going to take the blood of the lamb the son of god himself it's going to take his blood to release you you know just think about the seriousness of this for a moment if the the stories of the bible are to be believed and of course they are it took a word from god simply a spoken word from god to create the cosmos let there be and there was but it took the death of the Son of God to release us from sin. And you get an idea of just how serious sin is. So what, is, what are we saying? We're saying that is, it is possible to be caught in slavery to sin without really knowing it, because it's all that we've ever known. And here we're being offered a release 
into family, into relationship with a living creator God, into purpose and faith and hope. That might be just a wild concept and yet it's so deeply meaningful. It's what you were born for. It's what you are, there's all the hopes of the ages caught up in this moment. And the Bible is saying, this is it. This is, this is what life is about. And of course, it's also why we celebrate this meal. And why we do it with, and I've put here, it's a, it's a serious celebration when we come to this meal. It's a serious celebration. It's serious because we're remembering what we've been released from. We've been released from, from, from just the hideous separation from God and what we've been offered and, and, and welcomed into, which is a relationship, a friendship with God himself. It's just, a, it's a wild, a, a, a wild juxtaposition. And here in this meal is the moment that we celebrate, which is why we want to do it every week. Now, we started by saying that familiarity can breed contempt, and it really can. So I guess the purpose of me speaking today about this again is just to remember all of these things, all the, all the freedom that God offers, all the benefits that he gives, just the joy of what it means to be free, to know him, to know his presence, to know the goodness of God, to know the smile of the Father upon us. There's no freedom from judgment. There is no judgment. There is no fear in the life of the believer of judgment because God is with you. And there is a friendship with the Creator God. There is a filling of the Spirit. There is a family around us. And just as this Passover meal would have been joyous and happy time, so our communion should be the same. As I said, it's a serious celebration. So we should have moments uh, through the weeks as we take communion where we do reflect and we do come in repentance, but there should also be moments of great joy and family and, and friendship as we celebrate together. What it means, you are, you are my brother, you're my sister, but you, you don't look like me, you might not sound like me, but you are, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. What a phenomenal reality. You don't find that anywhere else on the planet other than around this table. God has given us something incredible, something to celebrate, something to enjoy. Something to be repeated again and again until he returns, which is what we'll continue to do. Father, we thank you so much that you've given us these moments, these symbolic moments to remind us of all that you've done. Help us, I pray. Help us to, to do just that, that we would come to this, these, these, these meals, this, this table, this bread and wine repeatedly, uh, treating it as this serious celebration, taking celebration seriously of what you have done and what you've been willing to give and what we would give happily in response. Help us, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.